Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here, whether you're visiting us today inside our church or whether you've come to us from SoundCloud or a podcast all over the world. Did you know that what you're doing pleases God today? God, of course, wants every Christian in a church, but if you're just listening because you've decided to take some time out of your busy life and you've tuned in because you know that we preach the truth here, God is pleased with that. For He is pleased every time we take our own time and we do something for Him with it. If this is your first time listening to me, hello, I'm Pastor Ed. I come to you from McKinney, Texas, and this is Gospel Saving Church and our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. All right, well, we always start with a word of prayer. If you guys would join me, please, in this word and ask God to help us understand His Word and help the seeds get planted on good soil today. Lord, we do pray. We just love you and we praise you and we thank you, dear God. We come to you and we we ask, Lord God, that the seeds that are sown today, Lord God, or, or sown on the hearts of people that will listen to this message until the end of time, Lord we, God, we pray that the seeds that are sown would be sown on good soil, Lord God, where that soil would then bear 30 and 60 and 100 full good fruit for your kingdom, Lord God. We pray that the devil would not come and take away those seeds out of that soil or, or that we would not allow the soil of our hearts, Lord God, to be... Uh, to, to be to the seed to grow and then we turn because of persecution or something, Lord God, we just pray that our souls would bear 30 and 60 and 100 fold good fruit for your kingdom with this word that we hear today. Help us understand what we are learning today, Lord God. I pray that none of us and no one that's ever going to listen to this message, Lord God, would ever view the, the subject of this message, Lord, the same for the rest of their lives. I pray, Lord God, that the message, this subject that we're going to talk about today, Lord God, would change people's hearts, Lord God, towards your way. And that, Lord, that every true child of yours would focus and strive in their lives, Lord God, to do things and to live their lives like you want them to live their lives. We love you and we praise you and we thank you, Lord God. And we ask these things, all these things, in the mighty name, in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So you can turn now to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, if you'd like to, because that's where we're going to be today. But I'm not going to read them or teach them until after my thoughts from last week's message. Peter's first sermon, part 4, our last part of Peter's first sermon. Last week, Peter taught the last part of a sermon, that's what I covered. He taught it in probably about 10 minutes, and I, of course, teaching on his teaching, took about 4 hours or 4 Four sermons total. But you know, there was so much to cover in Peter's sermon. Peter didn't, you know, talk about all the different things that he talked about and broke them down like I did. He just kind of laid it all out and God used it the way he did. Anyway, last Peter covered a bit about David and who he was in relation to the Christ and vice versa. And of course, Peter told us that the Christ was a descendant of David, according to the flesh, that is. David's own great great, 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 28 Ruth grandson, which we know now to be the Jesus Christ, but that's who Peter was talking about, we talked about last week. Peter taught his listeners about what happened to Jesus after resurrection and emphatically repeated again to these Jews that this Jesus was the one, the Christ, that they killed and that was descended from David. And they were so convicted by Peter's preaching that they were, the Bible says, cut to the heart. I love that saying, cut to the heart. 
I've been cut to the heart many times in walking with God. When he shows me that I'm wrong on an area of my life or shows me that I'm, I've done something that he doesn't like and oh, cuts me to the heart. I know what that feeling is like. And they were cut to the heart by Peter's preaching. And they asked Peter, what do we need to do to get right with God? Because they realized that their sin had separated them from the holy and true God. Peter's reply for salvation? Simply repent. Remember, repentance is you turning in your heart, you deciding and making a decision within your heart, I need Jesus, I I need, I'm, I'm turning my heart toward God. I'm no longer keeping my face away from God, I'm turning my heart towards God. It's an inward work. And then after that inward work, he said, be baptized. Why? For the evidence of their salvation, just as an outward show or step of repentance that they had already taken in their hearts. Then for the rest of the message, I focused on the idea of repentance, what it was, how it was supposed to work in our lives, what the result of it was supposed to be, and how there's no salvation without it. And I even pointed out a huge false doctrine in our church today uh, that's leading masses of people to hell, which is not taught in God's word, the magical prayer of salvation, which is, again, not taught in the Bible, not found in the Bible at all. It's it's a man-made false shortcut that people think gets them to God, but it really doesn't. It doesn't lead to anybody being truly born again. I want to remind everyone just of one thing I spoke on in depth last week. I really hope that all my listeners understand that there is no magical prayer that saves you from your sin and makes you right and in a right relationship with God and Jesus Christ. There's no magical prayer of salvation that that makes repentance. Repentance doesn't come by the mouth. It comes from the heart. Salvation only comes when someone truly repents after they realize their sin has separated them from God. A prayer may follow, understand, because you may be thinking, but, but Pastor Ed, I prayed after I really did get saved. Yes, you did. You did absolutely. Prayer, baptism, doing good things, these are all an expression uh, to God of, of, of the inward work that already happened in the heart when you decided to turn your life over to Christ Jesus. But that prayer or that being baptized or that thing you did that, you know, you started helping people and you started preaching Jesus or you started reading your Bible, those things were as a result of the inward work of salvation and repentance that happened in your heart, not by those things which came Afterward, True salvation comes when a person humbles themselves and their inward man or inner woman or child and submits and surrenders to Jesus Christ, his way and not my way anymore. That's the decision of the heart that has to be made before the mouth can confess it. And anything you do afterwards is really just a good fruit that comes from that salvation that happened inward first. So I challenge still again all of those listening today. I challenge you even if you are, if you have taken that step in your heart and you look at the world, look at the world like this. How do, when people say they're saved, when you say you're saved, how did they supposedly get saved? Did they truly repent, surrender, submit to Christ in their hearts? Or did someone say when they're at a church service, hey, just, just 
Pray this prayer after me, brothers and sisters. And then if you prayed this prayer, you're born again. That is not salvation. I, I have a, a, one last thing to say. The right start, and you can say this anywhere in life. You can apply this law to any area in life. The right start means the right finish. If you started in a race and you started and you and you started the race and you started on the right course and you followed that course all the way till you finish, of course you have to, but if you if you don't even start right, meaning if, if the racetrack is in front of you, but you start over off on the field that's next to the racetrack, you're never you, you didn't even start right. You can't even finish right until you start right. And then get on that track and stay on that track all the way to the end of the race. And a magical prayer doesn't help you start right. And if that's how you think that you were saved, or that's how people say, oh, I I prayed this prayer at church one time, then they didn't start right, and you're not saved. And when you go to heaven, because everybody's going to go to heaven, but not everybody's going to stay God's going to give you some bad news when he sends you away because you were never born again. If you truly want to be born again and have true have a true relationship with Jesus Christ, then you must start it and do it his way, not yours, and repent and surrender and submit your life to Christ. And then obey God. Then start to do the things that God told you to do. And do it his way and not your way. All right. Well, let's get on to our new section and our new sermon. We're going to finish Acts chapter 2 today. We're going to be in Acts 2, 42 through 47. The title of our sermon today, The Church. Simply, The Church. Let's begin. Let's read Acts 2, 42 through 47, and then I'll teach it. The Bible says to us, verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them amongst all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So after Peter's first sermon, the followers of Christ, which were uh, not that many at that time, which were only 120, now had more followers than ever, than they could ever have imagined. In one moment, in one day, the followers of Christ increased from 120 to 3,120. Wow, that's an explosion. And by the way, in case you're wondering, because I was, and I went ahead and found a calculator online, that's a 2,000% increase in one moment, in one day, is what God did for their little gathering, their little you know, congregation, their little group of small, a small band of believers that they had in Christ. Anyway, now that they had their explosion of new converts, what to do? 
Do the apostles just let them go out into the world with their newfound, born-again belief in Jesus Christ, telling them, we love you, brother, and have faith, be warmed, and, you know, sing kumbaya. That's not quite what they did. They were saved, these new Jews, redeemed by the blood of Christ because they repented, but now it was time for their training. Now it was time for their spiritual growth and their discipline in their new faith. Look at what it says in verse 42. And they, meaning the disciples, the apostles, and now the new believers, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. You see, Jesus Christ never commanded his followers to just stop once somebody got saved. Right? Okay, we got we we prayed, you know, we preached the gospel, people responded to the gospel, people repented, they got saved. Jesus said that's not the end. That's not where we're supposed to stop. He says in Matthew 28:19, he says, "Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." And although these apostles had helped these Jews come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, the newly born again believers were not disciples just yet. Nor did they know how to walk with God according to the way God had said to walk with people now that Jesus Christ had come. They kind of knew the old covenant, and they knew the old ways, and they knew the old sacrifices, and they knew the old laws, but now they didn't have any idea about all the new ways, about all the new covenant, about all the things that Jesus Christ said, and what his blood meant, and so on and so forth. And, and, and sure enough, in this verse we just read, the apostles started to make disciples of these newbies in Christ right away. They didn't waste one minute. Look at how they went about making them disciples. First, it says that they continued steadfastly, which means that they started doing discipleship with them continuously and consistently. They made this discipleship thing a regular practice. And where did they make them disciples? Continuously and consistency, or consistently. Look at verse 46. Just skip a few down, and I'm going to explain what that is. Verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple. So these new believers were gathering together in a building and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. So they gathered together, they went to a building, and they had a, their, you know, discipleship times. So they discipled them in the temple building and even from house to house, each one of their houses and each one of their houses, right? What did they do to disciple these new believers that they practiced steadfastly together in the temple from house to house? On a regular basis, even daily. Look back to verse 42. The Bible says that they taught them the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. So breaking these things down one by one, the apostles started to disciple these newbies on a consistent basis in the temple and each one of their houses by, number one, their apostles' doctrine. These were the teachings of the church leaders or the apostles specifically. 
So it, it was the, the Bible's not saying here that just anybody could teach these things, but the apostles themselves. This was the original 11 plus Matthias. This wouldn't even have included the whole 120. This was just the apostles' doctrine. For there are those whom God calls to do this work. God, the, the, the Bible talks about the office and the gifting of an apostle. The office and the gifting of an evangelist. The office and the gifting of a teacher. And Peter and the other 11, including Matthias, were those apostles. They were those whom God called to specifically preach the apostles' doctrine. Their way of viewing everything about Jesus Christ. What were the apostles teaching them? Well, what they heard Jesus Christ teach. Remember, they were with Christ all the days or often throughout the days of Christ's ministry for three and a half years. What else did they teach him? They taught the new they taught these new guys the 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 God man that they knew him to be. And they taught him the obedience of doing the things that God and Jesus Christ commanded his followers to do, which is exactly what Jesus said to do in Matthew 28, 20. 28, 19, he says, hey, go make disciples. 28, 20, he says, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. So, hey, help them get saved, preach the gospel to all creatures, then make them disciples. How do you make them disciples? Teach them, command them. To obey the things that I have taught people to do. Why would Jesus have said to do this? Well, the apostles were making disciples for Christ the Master. And a person cannot become a disciple, ladies and gentlemen, without first disciplining themselves in the following and the teachings of Christ. Disciple or discipline is a derivative of disciple. You can't have a disciple unless you have discipline. Discipline in Christ's teachings is what Jesus said, Matthew 28, 20. And since these 3,000 had just been saved, they needed to learn, one, how to follow Jesus Christ, two, how to live for Jesus Christ in their lives, and three, how to start serving Jesus Christ the way he commanded his followers to do so. Look at the second thing that these new converts had to learn how to do. So we have the apostles' doctrine first. Then the second thing, we have fellowship. Well, what is fellowship? Fellowship is, is getting together. Fellowship is, is eating with one another. Fellowship is, is talking with one another. Fellowship is bearing one another's burdens. Fellowship is praying with another. Fellowship is being together. Having all things in common, being one, doing things together, not doing things of the world, not going out there to clubs and bars and, and doing this, and, but, but talking about the Bible, learning about the Bible, fellowshipping, getting together, loving one another, brotherhood, sisterhood, true loving friendships, togetherness. And this true fellowship and love for one another that the apostles were building within them led to verses 45 and, or 44 and 45. It says this, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. In essence, they were unified in all of their ways and they did their things together. And if there was a brother and sister in need, they didn't go to the government. They went to the church. 
They went to the people. They went to the other, you know, to the believers that were amongst them. And they said, hey, we need some help. And they went, okay, boom, let's, let's help these guys out. They're part of our, they're part of our following. They're part of us. Fellowship, ladies and gentlemen, is so important. It's such an important part of a Christian's walk with God. Without fellowship, Christians can't be unified. We can't grow towards, uh, we can't grow in our love towards other servants of God. We can get off base really easy, falling into sin because when you don't have fellowship, you have no accountability. And, and you can't be obedient to God because Jesus taught fellowship. The new disciples taught fellowship. So if you don't fellowship with other like-minded believers, you're being disobedient to God for he commanded us to love one another. And you cannot do that without having fellowship. Look at the last two ways the apostles were discipling these newbies. The third and fourth things in that verse. Breaking of bread. Now this was both eating together and communion. And probably both. Getting together, having a meal. What did Jesus do with the disciples? He both had the Passover communion and he also sat down and ate with his fellow disciples. And this is when he washed their feet and he loved them and he served them. And they remember, they dipped their hands in the bowl together with him. And, you know, they were talking about the things of God. That's what children of God do when they gather together for fellowship is they eat together a lot of times. And the, and the fourth thing, and prayers. This would be praying together. These newbies had no idea how to even pray to God under the new covenant. They, they had their prayers out of the Old Testament, but hey, now we're supposed to worship God in spirit and truth is what the New Testament says. Well, that's not a pre-prescribed prayer. Oh, Lord, I love you very much. Thank you for this day. No, in the new, under the new covenant, now with the new Holy Spirit, we were just supposed to pray. Talk to God like he's our friend because that's what you get when you become a friend of God through Jesus Christ. You get to become his friend. And these newbies had to learn all of these things. All these things constitute good discipleship. And the apostles were working hard at teaching these new converts. And the new converts were busy and working hard learning and practicing all these important ways of God. The original apostles, though, had three and a, five, three and a half years to do this with Christ. Uh, now they had to start getting these new disciples, these new, uh, these new people into what they call a disciple cycle. Right? Jesus discipled the, his 11, 12. Now these new, well, 11 plus the 1, 12 added had to learn how, and they had to disciple cycle the newbies that were coming into the faith. And they were doing it often and on a regular basis. What were the apostles doing, though, bigger picture-wise? Think of the bigger picture-wise here in making these new converts disciples. We see the apostles making disciples, sure. But by what means or avenue do we see them doing it by? Let's see. Let's examine the information that we have so far, shall we? They were coming together to meet up with one another. They were doing it often, continually, continuously and steadfastly. And while they were together, they had to learn the apostles' doctrine, or this was only the teachings and the teachings by the Christian leaders, the apostles, the, you know, Christ's original followers, not just anyone, but those whom God had given the office to do so. 
They were having fellowship. They were eating together. They were praying together. They were learning how to pray. And they were doing all of this in the temple, a specific building. And they were going from each one of their houses to houses, and they were doing the same thing in each one of their houses. Sounds like a pretty organized thing to me, right? I mean, it's plain. It's right there. They, apostles' doctrine, fellowship, teaching in a, in a building, right? And, and they weren't just gathering together as some Christian friends, right, and talking about the Bible together, just hanging out at some coffee shop talking about the Bible. I mean, that's a good thing to do, but they weren't, they were, this was a specific thing that they were doing. So let's see. What could they have been doing that was so organized in a building and in each other's houses? Let me think. Where do today, where do we, where do we see Christians get together often, listen and learn the teachings of Christ and his word often from someone who's, you know, God is called to do so. So like, you know, a teacher, apostle called to God to do so, where they fellowship, where they pray together, where we take communion. Where does that sound like? to you. I mean, if you're a Christian, where does that sound like you do that together? With leaders? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand there, guys, that the Bible's talking to us about the first church. The very first organized Christian church, just like we have today. A specific place that they went together a specific place that they went to fellowship together with leaders, apostles' doctrine, in a building where they did things together. They were having organized church services in a building. You say, but Pastor Ed, the Bible there doesn't even say church. Well, you're right. It says the temple. Well, they had just been saved. The disciples had just had the whole 120 together. Now the, now the 31, now the 3,120. When did they have time to even build a church, a church building, right? What did they have to do? Well, they used the temple building, which served as a church. It wasn't until later, which we can even look to the late first century. It's not long. Way before the Catholic faith even started in like the third century. We can see even in the first century that they had church buildings, standalone church buildings in the late first century, right? And what did they do here? They did this work with a specific teacher. Uh, modern day, we call them pastors or, pa- or a pastor. And while in church and in each other's houses, they did the things that Christ practiced with his disciples, And I hope you see that very clearly in this section. And we as Christians today, while we are in church, we listen to the pastor or pastors teach us God's and Christ's words for their call of God to do so. We pray together. We eat together. We take communion together. We have fellowship with one another. And we even go to each other's houses to do the same thing. Novel idea, right? I wonder where we got that from. The Bible! Because that's where it says that they did it here. Today, we don't say it then. Today, we call them home fellowships. That's what we call them today. But that's what they are. When you go to a home fellowship of a church, there's one leader or two leaders, and they each take turns, and they teach, and you get together, and you eat, and you love one another, and you do things together, and you learn the Word of God, and you talk about the Word of God. But there's always a leader. There's always somebody that God has put in that position to teach that home fellowship. Uh, but the main operation back then, it's supposed to be today, originated, though, from the church. 
as it should be today, according to God, and not just some Christian friends gathering to study the Bible together, as a substitute for organized church. Yet even though we have such a clear example of a structured, organized church setting, God ordained way back in the beginning, in the very start of Christianity, there is a huge movement in our day and age in 2017 that we live in, that Christians are wrong for having organized religious services in church because God doesn't approve of organized religion, as they will say. They say the Bible doesn't speak of a place people gather together that they call a church in a building or a home. They say that church is just all of God's children all over the world. And church doesn't have to have pastors and deacons and leadership and rules. Oh, man, rules. Rules in church? You mean there's rules when we get together? Oh, boy, oh, boy. And don't even talk about pastors getting a paycheck. Wow. You know, so they should do that for free. They should serve God because they just love God, by golly. That's what pastors should do, right? That's not what the Bible says. Bible talks about pastors having getting getting reimbursement that they're not supposed to serve God for free. That's the, that is their job. Listen, I understand how they feel. There's a lot of bad and false churches that call themselves true Christian churches today. There's a lot. And there are many who call themselves pastors yet are snakes in three-piece suits making millions of dollars a year year while their poor congregations tithe and, and some even even suffer in poverty. So I know how many people feel about all of these that are preaching God's business and doing God's business the wrong way. But to say that the Bible doesn't speak of an organized, structured Christian church in a specific place is heresy. It's anti-Bible. It's false and it's completely, completely wrong. And they're way off base. Anyone that would suggest otherwise is so as to say that there shouldn't be literal organized Christian church, even in a building or home with pastors, leaders, deacons, rules, structure, and such that we read about today, to what the scripture just described to us is a false teacher of the Bible. They're not teaching the same Bible as I'm reading here today. And they're not speaking from God. Anyone who believes this is way off base, big time. And they're in need of serious repentance. And they're in need of coming back to Christ and His church. And they are especially in need of repentance and coming back to Christ and His literal church uh, that's on earth today if they use the argument that this is a real famous argument that, that these people use. That the word church in the Bible, which is ecclesia, only means the saved children of God all over the world. And which is partly true. Because that's how the devil kind of works a lot. The devil knows if he doesn't put some truth in there, that people will just dismiss the whole thing. So that is true in essence. The Greek word for church is ekklesia in the Bible. And according to Strong's, literally one of the definitions does say the whole body of Christians scattered throughout the whole earth. But that's not the only definition for ekklesia. It has several definitions. And why? Well, due to the different ways it's used in the New Testament. Here, here's just one of the definitions for the word ecclesia that's not the whole body of Christians around the whole world. From Strong's, in conjunction with what the New Testament says, the very first definition actually says this, that ecclesia means a gathering of citizens called out from their homes 
into some public place and assembly. Wow. Look at that. I wonder why I've never heard one of those guys talk about ecclesia quote that definitions that comes right from the Strong's Concordance. That's a universal thing that a great man of God compiled years and years and years ago. Well, an assembly calling out into a place sounds like organized church service to me. Do we see a picture of an organized and structured Christian religion in the Bible along with religious rules and leadership like in this section here in Acts chapter 2? I mean, maybe I'm off. Maybe I'm reading Acts chapter 2 and that is not the church. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, we do see it, right? We do see it and wow, do ever do we see it. In, in, in my first examples I'm going to give you today of how we see it, they're not just cherry-picked one verse here or a couple words here. They're a whole section of a whole book. And that whole book that I'm going to talk to you about first is Paul's epistle to Timothy, Paul's letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy. And we see that the whole book is just full of organized religion, organized Christianity. Look at this first example, and I'm going to explain it as we go. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. Again, this is not just one sentence of the Bible. This is four or five verses here. Paul writes this. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere. Well, that's a rule. Paul just commanded Christian men to pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. These are rules. Hmm. I mean, this could just be rules, right, that Paul laid down as good Christian rules to live by, which they are for just everywhere, right? But listen, listen to what he goes on to say, verse 10, which is but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Listen, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. I, do we think Paul's talking about a, 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 a school? Or maybe he was talking about the women, that's right, learning in silence as they homeschooled their kids back then, because that was, maybe the women were, oh wait, how would the women teach if they didn't, if they were in silence? Now where would a woman learn in silence? Hmm, with all submission. Well, that sounds like a church to me. That sounds like they're gathered together and they're having a congregation of the church, even though the ecclesia is not used there. And the women are supposed to do this specific thing in church, which then you can look at the whole section that way. And I do not per- permit a woman to teach. Oh, now where do we have teaching? Teaching of what? Teaching of the Bible. Paul was writing to Timothy on a religious matter. This wasn't just about anything. Women were supposed to teach in the church or to have authority over a man, but to learn in silence. 1 Timothy 3.1 is same book, guys. Same book. Not just a cherry picked here. The same book. 1 Timothy 3.1. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position, position of what? Position of a foreman at a job? Of a man? If a man desires the position of a bishop, Oh, wait a minute now. This gets a little bit more specific, doesn't it? If a man desires a position of a bishop, where do we find bishops? What are bishops? A bishop is just a fancy word, New Testament Greek, for pastor, apostle. So if a man desires the position, where does a man have a position of a pastor? Oh, let me think. Hmm. 
Oh, that would, oh, that's right. That would be in a church, in an ecclesia. Look at that. He desires a good work, Paul says. 1 Timothy 3.8, likewise deacons. What do deacons do? What do we know deacons do? Well, deacons, the definition of strong is a, is a leader in the church, and he assists the pastor. Where does the pastor serve? Mm. He serves in a church, in an ecclesia. That's a position. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money. It's in there. We go another one. We see organized Christian religion positions. Wow. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, another one. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write to you so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God. Whoa. Well, that's certainly not ecclesia, but what is the house of God? Well, he could have been very very well talking about the temple because they may not have had a church building built back then just yet. And that may be true, but nevertheless, we can still call that a church because they went to the temple to do church things like we do today, right? So there we go. There's another example. But he goes on to say how to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Notice how he combined house of God and church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. We know that can't just be all believers all over the world because that's a certain, all believers all over the world are not the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is the, the church. It's the, it's, the, it's the place. It's the foundation of all Christianity. It's the gathering together, the organized religious teachings of the church. And these are just a few from Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy. If you just simply read over the entire epistle, you'll see that the pastor Timothy, get this, was supposed to disciple the Christians in the church, the organized Christian church in Ephesus, that is. And you'll see examples of the pattern of church that we see in godly churches today. It's pretty amazing. So in those verses, we saw the church structure. We saw the church leadership. We saw an organized Christian church. But what about the word ecclesia? How is it used in the Bible? This is going to blow you away. Because actually, there's, there's, there's whole, whole scriptures, whole sections that talk about ecclesia. But where it can't just mean the whole gathering of all the Christians around the whole world. Uh, it, it, it is not just used that way, right? Let's see what those examples are from the Bible. I'm going to talk about how ecclesia is referenced in these organized gatherings with rules and structure. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 and 2. Listen to this. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. Now, that could be just, you know, right? The gathering together of just the simple ones, or the Christians in Corinth, right? But notice it was the gathering together, the church of our God, which is in Corinth. Notice where those Christians were gathering together. That wasn't just the Christians in Corinth. And then he goes on to specifically break it down more to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours. First Corinthians 11, 17 and 18. Now in giving these instructions, instructions, instructions to the unified body of Christ to the whole world? No, I don't see it. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together. Hmm. 
Well, that's just not talking about all the Christians all over the world. They're coming together. Not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church. Wow. So now we got these Christians, and he's talking to Christians, and they're talking about the Christians at a place, and now he's talking about the Christians that are coming together as a church. So you come together, would that be ecclesia too? Because that'd be Christian. So the Christians and the Christians. No, they can't interpret it that way. You come together as a church, guys. It's an organized Christian religion that they were coming together to have ecclesia. They were coming together to have organized church. And he goes on to say, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. 1 Corinthians 14, 33-34. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Now, if, if ecclesia there meant all Christians all over the world, would he be, so let's see, but of peace, as in all the churches all over the world of the saints? Of, the, of all the Christians all over the world of the saints? Does that make sense? That doesn't make sense at all. But the church is the place there in Corinth. Yeah, the saints that are gathering in that church, that makes sense. Then he says, let your women keep silent in churches. Again, we have that in the churches, in the ecclesia, in the gathering together, there's a rule. And what is that rule? Well, women aren't to speak in their church. That, that, that talks about what, that just completely references what he talked about in 1 Timothy, right? Women are supposed to keep silent and not teach, not have authority. Women are supposed to keep silent in the churches, 1 Corinthians 14. For they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. 1 Corinthians 16, now concerning the collection for the saints. Now we have a giving opportunity here. As I have given orders to the churches of Galatia. That would be all the different gatherings together of all the different Christians together in the church, the organized church, to do what? Well, to sing Kumbaya and to get together at, you know, McDonald's and have a, you know, Coca-Cola and a coffee. No! The collection for the saints. They were supposed to come to church and they were supposed to what? What do you do in church? What's one of the things you do in church? Well, you give money to God. You give money to God's work. And here, that's an organized thing that they just did. They had a collection for the saints in the organized Christian religions of the churches of Galatia. Wow. And he goes, so you must do. Philippians 4, 15. I mean, I'm just going all over the Bible, all over the New Testament. One place. Philippians 4, 15. Now you, Philippians, know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church, now could that mean all people all over the world? No Christians all over the world shared with me concerning giving and receiving by only you. Huh, wait a minute. Well, that can't be. That, right? That, how can all the Christians all over the world give to Paul? That's ridiculous. You've got to come together to, in order to have tithing, in order to giving, in order to support the missionary. Paul was a missionary. And Paul was talking to this church in, the, in, in, in Philippi, and he was saying, hey, when you come together, hey, you're going to send me away with some cash so I can go do God's work. Well, that's an organized Christian religious thing, isn't it? That isn't just all the Christians all over the world. Wow. Well, has, one more. Just one more. Hebrews 12, 23. I'm just all over, right? To the general assembly. Even in that right there. The general assembly? What do you do when you... What does assembly mean? 
<laughs> assembly means you get together. Not all Christians all over the world to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. It's pretty, put it together to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. And those were just a few examples from God's word about the church. There's lots more, but I'm going to spare you them for time's sake. I have some more to say. Now, come on, ladies and gentlemen. There is ecclesia or, or God's organized Christian church with structure with pastors, with apostles supporting one another financially willfully out of love from their organized religious gatherings and not just ecclesia of all God's children everywhere around the whole world. Now, after all we found in God's Word here today, please look at what I said. If you could still believe, or if you know anybody that believes that there's no organizers, not supposed to be, any organized religious Christian church that comes together to be unified in the body of Christ in a physical structure or house, but, but having that unification structure and organization with spiritual leaders and rules, then you are willfully choosing to reject the plain truth of God's word about the literal, not figurative, but the literal figural or fig, physical church of God that is in congregations all over the world in different cities, multiples in each city. If you're doing that, you're rejecting God's way and the things that he wants you to do. You're rejecting his perfect path and his perfect plan. As you saw today, God spoke very loudly in his word that he has ordained a literal Christian church which has or organization, structure, religious services, specific buildings or homes, and with specific elders, bishops, pastors that are called of God to teach, called the church, where there are rules of how to do things in an orderly, godly way for those involved, along with having leaders and deacons that assist the pastor in his duties to help the church operate orderly, along with a huge fact that, guess what, you can't leave out of that. What makes up the individual churches in, in every individual city? People, Christians, seekers of God. You can't have a gathering of people together without the most integral part the people. You gotta have Christians that gather together and love one another to do church together. You can't have it. For the church, you see, is God's baby. Ladies and gentlemen, Christians, he ordained it from the very beginning of Christianity here in Acts 2. And as we read of the disciples and these new converts and the very first organized Christian religious gatherings in the temple, the makeshift church, to people's houses, operating orderly with structure, accountable to one another, being discipled, submitting themselves to one another, and to apostles or to God's chosen men to run His church. And what is the result of these first and original believers doing things God's way? We, ha we have two more verses. I, I don't know if you know, we didn't talk about them. Just going to reference them real quick. What, is, what does it mean to be unified what happens when a church is unified? When God's kids come together to do church His way? Not to just be a part of the universal body of Christ all over the world, which it does mean church as well too. What happens? Look, look at what happens in verse 43 and ver verse 47. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Wow. And look at verse 47. 
Our last verse. Praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. God was doing wonders and signs through the apostles. They had favor with those of the world, and God was saving lost souls and adding them to the church every single day. And all this came from these early believers being obedient to God's plan of the church and not their own, and then being unified as one body in Christ together in the church. And this would be the culmination of what Christ prayed for with his followers in John 17, 20 through 23. Listen to what he says. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, you in me, and they may be perfect in us. And the final result, end of verse 23, and that the world may know, just like here in Acts 2, 47, That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Exact same thing as what happened in Acts chapter 2 with the apostles and these new converts. Wow, isn't God so good? And isn't his word so perfectly synced together? It all just meshes, just all perfectly. Isn't that awesome? Now, I must admit, I got, I got to share something special with you. It's kind of off on topic, but not. I'm not going to preach right now for a few minutes. I must admit that when I started working on this message in the beginning of the week, I really never intended it to be about the church. I never intended it to be that to be the title, The Church. I, I kind of start with a blank page, in a sense, for the new sermon. I, I start with nothing, and then I read the scripture, and God puts stuff on my heart, and then I write it down. And, and I never intend, I don't even know what the title is going to be, unless I'm doing a part one, part two, part three. And I, obviously, I know then, until we get out of the parts, which is here today, I didn't know what this new sermon title was going to be. didn't know it was The Church. And I didn't know that it was going to be about the provable reality of the church in Scripture and how even the early Christians went to church just like we did, just like we do today. But as I got to the end of the first day of the study of the body, the message, not the overview, my first day is the overview, my second day starts the body of the message. When I got to day two, when I got to the end of day two, I saw the vision from God of the church, day two, in this section. And I'd seen it like I'd never seen it before. Apostles, doctrine, fellowship, prayers, you know, doing this, and they went to the church to do it. I was like, wow, that's the church. Wow, that's awesome, God. And so that became a vision of mine, right? And then God showed me, and I saw where they did it, verse 46, in the temple, from house to house. And I saw the first Christians practicing the organized religion of Christianity in the church, just like we do today. And I was blown away and inspired at what I saw. And it became God's vision to me for this message. Then, though, that's not all. God did a huge sign between me and a member of our church, Gospel Saving Church. 
and he's been doing a lot of these signs uh, and wonders lately. It's pretty, it's been pretty amazing. And, and the very night of that same day that I had this vision for the message, this is the night of now, right? This wasn't the day before. This was the night of that. This this fellow sends me an email asking me to watch a video and to give me my thought there, give him my thoughts about it, about its content. I had no idea what this video was titled, and, and in fact, when I first saw the email, I couldn't look at it right then. I kind of, you know, I put it down. I think I was going to take a shower, getting ready for bed, or whatever. It's kind of late at night. And when I opened it up, I was like, wow, I couldn't believe what I read. When I opened it up, I read the video title, and I kid you not, here was the video title of this YouTube video, and it goes like this. The first Christians didn't go to church. Why should you? I couldn't believe it unless I had seen it with my own eyes. And I'm a serious heart attack because, again, this was just the opposite of the vision that I had just received from God that same day earlier for our next week's sermon. This week's sermon. Wow. My, my first thought here was my human brain acting was that this brother had looked ahead at the verses for the next message and that he was just trying to test me on it to make sure I didn't agree with what the video was about, right? I I just thought that's what he was doing. And then the next time we talked, I asked him why he sent me this email with this title and content without telling him that it was exactly opposite of the main focus and vision that God had given me for the new message. I had did not tell him that. I wanted to see if God was doing something here. This brother told me as my mouth dropped open and stayed open that he was just talking to someone online in another state that had this opinion of the church and that he had watched the video and was kind of taken in by it and just really wanted to get my honest thoughts about it because he wasn't sure if the first Christians had really gone to church or not. But he wanted to know what I really thought about it and what about us today. I couldn't believe my ears and what God had just done. So then I asked him if he did it on purpose because he had looked at the next verses for the next sermon. He said no, and he asked me why, and I told him what God did again and then explained what I'm telling you now, and he was just as blown away about it as me. God had done a sign between us as we are unified together in Christ, and he confirmed to me the vision for the sermon that he had just given me before this ever happened. And this video was full of heresy. And it caused me to comb the scriptures like never before in a fervent way for any contextual proof of the church. See, because maybe I was wrong. Maybe the early Christians didn't go to church. So I had to go and comb the scriptures and I had to find a, hey, am I right? Hey, was I right? And, and this is the sermon that you today, are listening all over the world, you are benefactors of today. I was so inspired with these events that happened that I really enjoyed making this message. And it is one that God absolutely wanted me to preach in these last days because this movement against the church is getting worse by the day. And I understand how people feel. Uh, they're false churches, the apostate churches, the, the people you've been hurt, people have been hurt in churches, I've been hurt in churches, and, and, and them being all, up, all, all about money and, and, and all about power and all about, you know, the showboating themselves and these three-piece suits and driving these fancy cars and having these fancy jets. And I know, trust me, I know. I know why people's opinion of the church is so bad. Because a lot of the churches are not good. They're, they're wrong. They're off base too. Trust me. 
But God is moving in our country, the United States of America, and in the whole world to bring masses of people to himself and bring about another time like this first time in the first century starting with these 3,000 people got saved but he needs his kids to stop letting the devil separate us and, and take a stand and be unified in Christ in the church if we become unified in God's true church like in those days with Peter and the apostles God will again bring fear upon those of the world today and signs and wonders like the ones that are happening here in gospel saving church will come to pass and when this happens once again like in verse 47 we're going to have this we will praise God and have favor with all the people of the world and the Lord will add to the church when this happens daily those who are being saved in our day are you a born again believer in Christ today and are you listening to me if so are you being obedient to God today are you being a solid rock in the church of the living God or in one of God's true churches learning what Jesus Christ said to do and becoming a disciple of Christ, actually doing the things that Christ said to do or are you not? If you're not part of His church, the, the, the church of God, the church of the living God, then you are a lone Christian soldier and you're serving God on your own terms and not His and you're not in God's perfect will in His church and you're alone. And Proverbs 18.1 says this, a man who isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he rages against, against all wise judgment. Come on, Christians. Get with God's program. God is moving. Please move with Him and not against Him, won't you? Please move with God. And you say, but Pastor Ed, all the bad churches... All the false churches, all the churches that are all about money, all the churches that all they do is is they don't they don't care about so they just want money and they just want power and and then they're and they're teaching false teachings. Well, listen, 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 shh, just listen. Pray and seek God's face on the church that He wants you to be a part of. I'm not saying to go to every church. I'm not saying it's going to be easy when you go to a church. and Maybe they believe a little different than you, uh, uh, some different things about the Bible. Maybe, just, you know, maybe, and maybe, or maybe that church you try is false. I'm not saying to go to that church. I'm not saying to go to, because that's not God's church. But if you pray, God wants you to pray. God wants all believers in Christ, in the church. And he wants you to pray and seek his face. And he wants you to, he want, he wants you to seek his face so that he can lead you and guide you where he wants you to be. Because he wants every true child of his in his church or one of his churches that's an absolute fact he doesn't want you out there fighting the good fight of faith all alone as a soldier fighting raging against all wise judgment we need to become unified we need to seek where god wants us there are good godly churches out there they are few and far between but i'll say this so are the real christians few and far between there's probably as many real churches as there are real christians And there's not that many real Christians. 
Real people that have been born again, real people that focus their lives on living for God's word and doing what God said to do. And I'll guarantee you, if you love Jesus Christ and you pray and you ask God, God, where do you want me to go to church? He'll lead you to a place because he has a place for the remnant. For God always has a remnant. But God's will is for every true Christian to be in one of his churches. Now, won't you be obedient to God and start praying and asking Him and seeking His face where He wants you to go? Then start visiting some. You can't. Get, he's not going to just take you by the ear and drag you to church. You got to go start visiting. And then, when you're in the right place, God will speak to you if you really love Jesus, and He'll say, "Right here, my son. This is where I want to plant you." Will you agree with everything the pastors say and they teach? Probably not, because if you get a hundred Christians in a room you're going to get a hundred different Christian opinions about the Bible. That's for sure. But as long as we have the essentials down, as long as we have the essentials of Christ and, and what God is doing and who God is and, and what he's called people to do and what he's calling and salvation and all that, then you've got a place where God can plant you. Wow. Have you been hurt in church? You, you, I, I've been hurt in church, Pastor Ed. You don't know. You, I've been hurt. I'll, I'll never go back to a church. Well, ladies and gentlemen, who hasn't been hurt in a church? I've been hurt. I've been betrayed. I've been stabbed in the back in a church by people who I believe love Jesus Christ. But you know what? People are going to make mistakes. But God calls us to love and forgive one another and continue to press on and continue. Maybe that wasn't the church then for you. Maybe God has another... Well, God probably has another church for you. But forgive and love and move where God wants you to be. God never said the church was going to be perfect. A church is made up full of people, and people are imperfect. But we just need to be obedient to what God told us to do and stop crying and whining about this, and we need to suck it up. We need to forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we need to move where God wants us to go and get back in the game and serve God in and from the church. For he had ordained it from the very beginning of Christianity, the very first church services right here in Acts chapter 2. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for this word. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your message, for the truth, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, so much for the places that are still yours and that still teach the truth. Thank you so much, Lord God. I just pray for more. I pray for even those false churches, Lord God, to come back to the truth. But I pray, Lord God, mostly right now for the people that are listening and, and for those that are out there that I love and, and care about, Lord God, I pray, dear God, that if they are true Christians, Lord God, they would seek your face and stop being lazy and get in the church, Lord God, because that's where you want every true believer being planted in a church instead of raging against all wise things. Please, Lord God, move on their hearts and get them in your church. Get them in the game. We love you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.